Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals. And I'm your producer, Jillian Huckman. I just ate Bojangles, everybody. No one knows what that is. If you know what that is, please email, email us. How do you I'm sure most <laughs> Feedback at thetheaterpodcast.com. <laughs> most people know what Bojangles is. I didn't but... know what Bojangles was until I met you. All right, it's so good. Thank you for bringing it to me. <laughs> uh, this is Intimate Personal Conversations with Theater's Biggest Names. Did I already say that? You did. You're okay. so excited. Why are you so excited? Who did we talk to? We just talked to the amazing director-choreographer Casey Nicola, who was just nominated for Best Direction of a Musical in The Prom, which was itself nominated for seven 2019 Tony Awards. Yeah. The dude was just incredible, but it was if you listen to it, it it's it was hard for me to get him to talk about himself. He's so humble. He's very humble. He's very much um someone who just likes to do what he does and does best and it the the other stuff that surrounds it kind of I don't even think it occurs to him. Yeah. Um at one point you you asked him if he gets recognized. He's like, "Yeah, but I don't know why." Because <laughs> <laughs> you're good, man. Uh, it was it was incredible to me that he said he still has pinch me moments. One of his favorite of which was doing the voiceover on South Park, <laughs> <laughs> which which is that's actually, a big deal. It's a bucket list of bucket list thing for me as well. But I mean, God, like you said, he doesn't know why he gets he gets uh, so nominated or whatever. But it, like everything he's done on Broadway has earned sixty two total award Tony Award nominations with fourteen wins. Just a couple. Here and there. Like, this guy is incredible. Everything he does is is incredible. And um, in another conversation we had with some of the ensemble members, I mean, they even mentioned that he, one of his his skills is is putting together people that just work. Mm-hmm. And they not only fit the role, not only can they can sing, but they work together. They elevate the story. They elevate their relationships. Yeah. Like, he just knows who's going to work together. He started off as a performer, uh, so he understands that dynamic. And he understands what it takes to be a performer on a Broadway show. So I think he comes with that perspective. And it makes his choices, um, both artistically and in terms of who he casts, um, more cohesive. He knows people's limits and he knows what they can and can't do and he knows how to make something really, really good. Mm -hmm. There was something that now that he said it is painfully obvious to me that I've never thought about beforehand. But once the show is open, the director's work is not done. Mm -hmm. I always assume that you just walk away and you (laughs) you take your paycheck and that's it. But we were talking about in the episode, you you go back and you check in and you make sure that the cast stays close to the original intent and you do brush-ups and... For him, it's you know he works with uh, for on the directing side and the choreographing side, so he's got double duty, and he's got four shows concurrently running on Broadway: Aladdin, mm-hmm. Book of Mormon, Bean Girls, and now The Prom. So he's got quadruple duty of going back and doing all of this work, and he just I don't know how he's he busy. sleeps. I don't know how he sleeps. So it was an incredible conversation. Everyone, please enjoy this episode with Casey Nicola. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here you go. One, two, three. This Tony Award-winning director, choreographer, and actor began his Broadway career as a performer in 1992 in the original cast of Crazy For You before going on to perform in shows such as Victor Victoria, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Saturday Night Fever, Susicle, and Thoroughly Modern Millie. He's either directed, choreographed, or directed and choreographed many iconic shows such as Spamalot, Drowsy Chaperone, Elf, Book of Mormon, Aladdin, Something Rotten, and Mean Girls. He's received 11 Tony nominations, six Drama Desk Award nominations, and six Outer Critics Circle Award nominations. His latest show to open up on Broadway, The Prom, just netted him his latest Tony nomination for Best Direction of a Musical. Casey Nicola, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. I hope I, I did you justice with that. That, that was opening. a lot to take in, but yeah, it's great. It well, you've kind of done a lot. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and congrats on the on the nominations for the prom. Seven seven nominations this year for 2019, including best musical. Yeah. So that must be very pleasing. I know this is a a, a passion project for you in a, in a way, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Since the since the beginning, you know, we didn't really know what we had, but we loved it, and we knew we loved working on it. So it was fantastic. Well, tell me about that. Why why is this so unique? Why was this project unique compared to the other ones that you've done? Well, it, first of all, it's it's original. You know, so it was just an idea that was brought to us by a Jack Fertel, who's artistic director at Encores. And he called me up and he said, you know what? I have this really weird idea for a musical. Uh, do you have any interest in the idea of, you know, two girls that can't go to their prom? And then maybe it starts in Bar Centrale with like celebrity types who are Broadway stars yeah. who feel like they're, they've sort of had it and they, uh, they need more with their lives. And they go down there and they decide to help the girls and make it worse. I said, sure, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, then... Uh, that was seven years ago. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And then in between starting that and now opening on Broadway, you like originated and, and put Mean Girls out. Yeah. I mean, really, it was it was right after Book of Mormon that we had the idea for this. Yeah. Yeah. And and so since then was, you know, Aladdin and <laughs> something rotten and talk everlasting and mean girls. So you, you kept coming back to this. And I and yeah. we'll, we'll definitely talk about the prom a lot, uh, because I have so many questions, but I want to start normally on the podcast here, we start with um the beginnings of of who you are and where you came from. So tell me about um like you were born in California, yeah? Yeah, I was born in Santa Monica, uh, but grew up in San Diego. And so you're out in California, and then where did the performing come from? Where did your love for theater come from? You know, I loved theater before I started performing. You know, I just was such a complete geek about uh, movie musicals. And then when I was in eighth grade, I had a friend who said, I'm in this thing called junior theater, and I think that you would really love it. And I auditioned and was a dancing Indian in Annie Get Your Gun, and I was sold. So that was in eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah. And did your parents encourage that or were they like, eh, it's a um, phase, you'll grow out of it? No, they actually encouraged me, which is weird because they, you know, they weren't really theater types at all. 
Really? Yeah. What do, what do they do? Or did they um, do? My mom worked as a secretary, and my dad did all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. So so I guess this was all new for them. It it was, but they were they were very supportive. So then then what happened next? Did you you go to school for theater? Um, no, I went. Well, I went to UCLA as a theater major, but I lasted like a year and a quarter and decided to move to New York. Oh, so so did you ever finish school? No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you moved to New York. What what year was that? With that? Nineteen eighty two. Eighty two. No. 19, wait, yeah, 1982, February 1982. <laughs> okay, so 80, 82, you came here, and what, what were you, you wanted to perform, you wanted to be an yeah. actor, yeah? Yeah, I, um, I had saved up my money in my freshman year in college, and came to New York on vacation, and just decided to go see shows, and then while I was here, I decided I'd audition for some shows, and I auditioned for Summerstock uh, a few places and got a job at New London Barn Playhouse in New Hampshire. Oh, wow. And we did 10 shows. We cleaned the toilets. We made breakfast. We built all the sets and costumes. I was in the shows. And it was like the best summer of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so where did the dancing come from, the dance training? Well, I, when I was in San Diego Junior Theater, we also took, uh, they, they had classes for us on Saturdays. And so we took dance class every Saturday. I just knew I loved it. And then when I got to New York, I just took class like crazy. Mm -hmm. So I was late. I was late to dancing. It wasn't like I grew up and went to dance school. Well, that's incredible. I had yeah. assumed I'd assumed that that dancing was your primary study. Well, it, it actually, I mean, it actually was. Um, I mean, musical theater was my life, but dancing when I got to New York was my primary study. I was uh, you know, I knew I wanted to sing, dance, act. But I was taking like three or four dance classes a day when I got to New York. No kidding. Yeah. That, that sounds tiring. Yeah, it was. It <laughs> sounds tiring to me now. That's for sure. <laughs> and then the the singing, I guess, like singing lessons. I took. In, I took. Yeah, lessons. I took uh, singing classes, acting classes, voice teachers, voice coaching, all of it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you just you went all in, immersive. I mean, it's like pretty much. Like, like I mean, because because as in in college as a as a theater major, I wasn't allowed to take voice and dance, which sort of made no sense to me. Which is why I didn't stay in college. Oh yeah, that like now that's ridiculous. You yeah. kind of have to do everything. I mean, you need yeah. to learn like the fundamentals of acting. But Absolutely. Yeah, of course you got to take it all. Um, do you have a, a particular genre or um, acting between acting, singing, and dancing? Do you have something you like the most? Directing. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs> directing, directing actors, singers, or dancers? Um, no, all of it. But I mean, the choreography is my biggest passion to start with. I love telling stories through dance. Yeah. So there's something about a dancer that I that I absolutely love. Yeah. I I was reading I was reading up to prepare for this, and and um, there was something you said about about the 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 dancing in the prom and the ensemble. And this is this is my own take on it, but the ensemble to me feels like it, it is own kind of like always changing character. Uh huh. And the like the ensemble's there. The ensemble helps, but it's it, they're never secondary, right? And they're always there to push the story along. And and the style, I I noticed this that the style of the of the main characters, the older actors, is more traditional, more right, more old school Broadway, and then all the ensemble, which by the way. 13 of them making their Broadway de made their Broadway debuts. Yeah. In the absolutely pro. cool. So absolutely these, cool. These, these young, amazing, energetic kids with energy pouring out of their fingertips. Right. It's like it's all hip hop. It's or based in hip hop. It, oh, it is. It's all based in hip hop for sure. Yeah. So was that was that a conscious effort to like? Oh, yeah, to I mean, because because kids aren't gonna dance in musical comedy style right now. 
So that's what that's what that was. So I, you know, I researched, I watched stuff, I, you know, I, I tried to to get our own vocabulary going with that. Wow, wow. And what did you do to research? Do, like, are you? Do you, what's your style? You said you started in tap, yeah. Yeah, mostly tap and and traditional Broadway. But you know, it's fun. And and actually, tap wasn't, you know, the rhythms in tap aren't mm-hmm. far from the rhythms in hip hop. And that's kind of how I approached it. Because at first, I, it was you know, it was daunting to me because I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, they, that's not in my wheelhouse, you know. But then I re- started really loving it and having a great time doing it. Well, did did you decide to make to to pull in the hip hop or? Oh yeah, or, yeah oh absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess so. Walk me through the like the original creation of of the story and the and the whole concept because you're talking about Jack. Jack had the Jack had the concept. Brought, right. Brought you the. I guess he brought idea. you the story, the idea, yeah. and then what happened? And then, uh, you know, we also brought on board, that's when we brought on board uh, Bob Martin and Chad Beglin and Matt Sklar. And then the four of us just started working on it and trying to figure out what the story was. We didn't really know everything that was going to happen in the show. Mm-hmm. We knew nothing that was going to happen in the show except for the idea about two girls, uh, you know, not being able to go to their prom. And then also the idea of a fake of the fake prom. Right, right. Okay, and- well, what does working on it mean? Like, just you guys have, have some shots and go in someone's apartment and like um, start banging out some tunes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, really, it starts with it starts with the the outline of what the plot was going to be, and then when we got the outline of the story, you know, Bob, Bob, and Chad, you know, started working on it, and we all just kept brainstorming and figuring out what it was and where do we want Act One to end and how do we want Act Two to end and what do we want in the middle and what do we want the story to be, and then. You know, and then the songs start getting written as as with the with the different song spotting and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's so cool to me. Like I, I've talked to a couple different creative creatives on the podcast, and everyone's kind of got a different take on uh-huh. it. Like uh, I think it was Tom Kitt who was saying that that next to normal they they wrote a bunch of songs, and they're like, I guess we should just put word like a story to connect oh, really? the songs. Oh really? Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I love next to normal. My yeah. gosh. Um. So at what point? I mean. I guess this is probably obviously not the first time that you've created something and worked on a story. Uh-huh. Um, at what point are you like, all right, we're going to continue, or eh, this, this isn't working, let's scrap it? Well, I don't think I've ever done anything when I've where I've said this is not working, let's scrap really? it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we believed in this one from the beginning, and we thought it has something in there, and especially because it's original. You just keep changing it. If something's not working, you change mm-hmm. what it's going to be, and you change the story, and you get to change the songs, and you get to change characters, and all of that. Hmm. So you just kept, yeah, kept going. And then at what point? At what point do you bring in producers? At what point does the money become important? Well, well, well uh, Dory and Bill came aboard pretty early. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that they were part of they were part of the outline and everything else too before anything was written. Oh, they were contributing to the story a little bit. Um, well, they were. We were running things by them to see what they thought and. You know, making oh. sure we were, they thought we were in the, going in the right direction. That's, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I the creative side and the the putting something together is all, is all very new to me. Uh-huh. Um, as a as a, an old performer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, I used to perform, and I'm a little bit old. But <laughs> yes, um, I, it's always just been like, all right, here's your sides, come in and do this, and then the creative teams are right. together. But the, the yeah, the creative side is so fascinating to me because it's like I said, it's a different story. And everyone wants to be in, is involved, and and gets excited for different reasons. Uh-huh. And you know, for you, like you said, this is just 
this is a story, and I believe it has a lot of heart. The story. So much. Tons of heart. So much. I mean, we knew we wanted it to be funny, but also when you look at what the story is going to be and you look about at, at two people not able to be who they are mm-hmm. and go to the prom, which is something that everybody gets to do, um, it was easy to sort of figure out where the heart was going to be. Yeah. Well, you're actually, I, I pulled a quote here from oh, a. Shoot. From not from you, from Playbill.com <laughs> article. Playbill.com article said uh, people are now saying that you have quote galvanized the modern form of classical music musical comedy. The nine musical comedies he shepherded to Broadway this far have earned sixty two total Tony Award nominations <laughs> wow. and fourteen wins. Wow. End quote. Um, so musical comedy, you're 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 creating a style of musical comedy that the current generation is now going to reflect back on for years. Wow. But yet the prom has a, has a very serious meaning and it's got, uh, you know, the people go back and forth between laughing and crying and then laughing again right. and then crying because they're. Well, that's la- what it should be. If you right. ask me that you should, it should be hysterically funny and moving at the same time. That's what yeah. I think makes it so wonderful. Well, is that how you approach everything you, that you've done? Like, I think so. I mean, you know, I think that people crying is an extra bonus, but I think that you <laughs> still, uh, you you still seek being able to move people mm-hmm. in any story, whether you move them through laughter, but you also move them uh, emotionally, and that's always the goal. Sometimes it's successful, and sometimes it's not. But I think I usually go with that in mind. Like how I, I think that when something's going to have to sing that there's going to be places where you hope they're affect, people are affected emotionally, just, just from the sheer nature of singing. Hmm. Yeah, the music music brings people together in general. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, or you feel differently, that dancing is like an extra layer on top of that? I think so, but it also has to serve the story. Oh, for for the show, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, But course. it is an extra layer, for sure. Yeah, and, and well, okay, so like, spam a lot. Book of Mormon, uh, Spamalot, of course, working with the Pythons, uh-huh. Eric Idle, of course, uh-huh. one of my personal heroes, um, and then Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Somehow they're my heroes too. Uh-huh. I, I just love those guys. So they're, but neither of those shows are out to make you cry, but they make you laugh your ass off. Right. But so, Book of Mormon is moving too. Oh, it's totally. It really yeah. is. Um, yeah. I mean, so how how do you decide? what you want to be connected to and how do you decide what to work on? I mean, like I just read your bio, like you have, or with the, with the quote said, the shows have 62 Tony award nominations. You probably have the pick of the litter now of what to work on next. Yeah. I just pick what I'm, what I'm, what I feel like is a story that I would like to tell basically. And something that, or if, or if I'm drawn to the music and I really love the music, I mm-hmm. think, oh, that's great. I know how I would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I know how I would work with that. Or I like these people that are, that are working on the show or that have written the show or, or want to write the show. And I think that we would have a fun time doing it. What, what kind of story are you drawn to the most? Um, probably that has to do with underdogs. I think that's, that's the main thing. And also just something that makes me laugh or that the concept of it, the idea of it, and the possibilities of the story will be very funny. Hmm. So working working with Trey, Trey Parker, uh-huh. not him not coming from a traditional theater background, although he loves he theater. He loves, and he loves musical theater. And, yeah. and, and that's where we totally cut together. Yeah. Was it, was it a different experience working with him than your standard 
kind of Broadway creative? Well, I just don't think anybody is standard, really. Really? Yeah. You know, um, oh, I mean, we I loved working with him, and I loved working with Matt, and I loved working with Bobby, and we had a really great time together. And we really, we all knew how to do it together. It was a really great experience. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. What, what did? What was your first reaction when you were approached to, or were you approached to do it, or how did you get? Oh, connected? I was approached to do yeah. it, and and pretty late in the game too. It really? was like, yeah, I was I was offered the job three weeks before the lab was going to start. No kidding. They'd already done a lot of work on it, uh, you know, before then they'd done labs and stuff like that, and, and and they wanted some fresh eyes, and I was able to be that, and yeah, it was it was great, but it was fast and furious. You know, we did a six week lab, mm-hmm. and I found out I was going to be staging and choreographing it uh, three weeks before we started rehearsals. So you just didn't sleep for three weeks, basically. Oh no, I was in tech for another show. <laughs> I was working on a show in San Diego, so it was a little crazy. <laughs> that's wow. That is that's ridiculous. I I would have loved to have watched this watched that process. I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved and it. And then, and then going back a little bit for Spamalot too was how did you connect to get connected to Spamalot? And and of course, I'm sure you knew of the Py, of Monty Python. And oh, and I, I mean, I yeah. loved Holy Grail growing yeah. up. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, and I just got a call out of the blue from uh, someone saying Mike Nichols would like to meet with you about choreographing the show. And I was like, holy crap! And then I heard what it was, and I heard it was Holy Grail. I was like, that would be amazing. And I met with Mike and. He didn't know me at all. Mm-hmm. He didn't know my work at all. I didn't really have work for anyone to know. Uh, and we talked for an hour. And then at the end of the hour, he just said, well, you want the job? And I said, well, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then, you know, cut to me in a cab crying all the way back to my apartment because I just could not believe my luck. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is an incredible. So many people uh, on this podcast have their their crying moments. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, when they got the call, I think it was uh, Joe Carroll told me when he got the call that he's going to make his Broadway debut. He would he had just gone through security at, at I think Newark and uh-huh. like got to the other side of security line and just broke down ugly crying. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go back and go back to you for a second. You originally were coming to New York. You were going to be an actor. It wanted to be an actor, mm-hmm. and you were. You were acting. You were in Broadway cast, the original Broadway cast and ensembles right. and whatnot. And then where did the transition happen into the choreography and the directing? Well, I mean, I always knew I wanted to choreograph before I did Broadway shows. I just sort of stuck. So I did. I choreographed, like, non-equity companies of stuff and, like, mm-hmm. regional theaters and summer stock and that kind of thing. Uh, but then I decided I needed to not keep traveling, and I needed to focus on performing. So that's mm-hmm. when I got crazy for you, and that's when I, you know, did the other shows. But... Every one of them, except for Scarlet Pimpernel, was an original Broadway company. So I got to see how they were put together, and I was mm-hmm. fascinated by it. And I knew it was something I would love doing, and I would, you know, just feel like I was in my skin if, if mm-hmm. I was doing it. And that's kind of how how it happened, really. And it, when you started doing it, was it like a... a what am I trying to say? Yeah, you just felt more at home? You felt oh, more... absolutely. It, it was... A, I felt more comfortable and more... Uh, in in my body and in my head and confident than I had as a, ever as a performer. I think that's that's beautiful, and I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to performing and to the arts and whatnot. Uh-huh. It's a form of a form of expression. Um, I was so glad to not be performing anymore. <laughs> I really was. I was so happy to sort of be the papa and not the baby anymore. Really? Yeah. I mean, you do a lot of work, and then opening night comes and. You take a bow with the cast, and then yeah. and you're done. 
<laughs> you are not done. You are not done. Oh my gosh. It keeps going and going and going, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, you know, but there's still there's still a lot of work. It's not as it's not as concentrated, but right. there are many, many emails for every company that keep going on and on. Well, can you tell me like what's going on with the prom? I mean, other than the Tony, like the build up to the Tony Awards now, which I'm sure there's a lot going on. Well, now is yeah. now is sort of the golden time. I mean, you just opened and you go, you get to you know do, do the Tonys, and everyone's still really excited. And you know, and then what happens is you know you're if you're lucky enough for a show to run for a long time, then you go six months later and you see that everyone is like, you know over the top and not connecting to the material anymore. And then you have to like have a rehearsal and you know, you have to keep on it and you have to keep on the maintenance because things, things change and people get used to something and, and uh, you know, an actor will push it further or just get away from the original intention and not even realize they're doing it. It's just Hmm. the nature of being a human being. Right. So Aladdin, Book of Mormon, Mean Girls, and now the prom. Yes. You have four shows. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Running on Broadway. Yes. Right now. Yeah. Uh, so you okay? I got a couple questions around all that. Uh-huh. Do you like Aladdin's been running for over ten years, right? Oh no, or, Aladdin's just had its fifth oh, anniversary. Fifth, fifth. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I knew it was an anniversary. Um, so do you go? Do you go back still to Aladdin? And, yeah, like, and I do, do. check-ins. I do. Yeah. Wow. And what what's like the weirdest thing you've seen? Someone like, what the hell are they doing? Get back up. Yeah. Well, that's that's a common occurrence in Is all it? the shows. And when when something's been running for a long time, it's. It's hard, or when there's new people in the in the show that don't get to hear the original creative team mm-hmm. talk about the show, or or know what they went through trying to create it, you know, or they haven't, you know, heard Tina Fey talk about what she thought about behind, you know, you know what's mm-hmm. behind that scene, and 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 so it's 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 different because the people that joins a, a company and four years later don't get the history of it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know exactly what's behind it, and it's and it's morphed. What they're being told has morphed, and that's just natural. It's a game of telephone. Essentially. It is a little bit like a game of telephone, yeah. Because when when the director leaves, the choreographer leaves, which in your shows happen to be you in both cases right. most of the time. Like it, it goes to the dance captain to maintain the dance, and the stage manager to maintain the blocking. Right, and and these days it's it's not it's not on the stage manager anymore. It used to be that was the person that took care of all the acting, and now there's associate directors that that take care of a lot of that. Which is great. Are they are they there um, nightly, or do they come back there? Um, it, it just depends. Pretty pretty much. I would say most of them are there, like you know, three or four nights. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And then I, and I they guess, and they run understudy rehearsals. Yeah. and they're there for putting in new people and and all of that. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. You know, obviously, put ins and swings, yeah. and swing rehearsals and all that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, but going back to what I said about having. Four shows concurrently running on Broadway. The, I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're smiling at me right now. <laughs> uh, my gosh, did you did you ever see this coming? Like mm. w- when you were just you know a little kid or no. an eighth grader? No, or 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 a forty year old. <laughs> you know, I, I I never would have imagined that really this, that this would happen, and I, mean, I would have four shows running on Broadway. Yeah, you work. I mean, work with Eric Idle and work with Matt Stone, Trey Parker, Tina Fey. And yeah, like. Even Jack Rattel is a legend in the in the <laughs> theater industry himself, right? Like you, you work with such amazing people, and now you are up there, right? Like, do you realize this, or do you have any sort of like uh, imposter syndrome? You or? know, no, I don't have imposter syndrome because, like I said, I feel like I I'm so in my skin as as a director. But you know, it's it's weird that this is my life. 
I, I pinch myself almost every day. I really do. I have moments where I go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I get to do this. Or I can't believe I'm going to work now. Or I'm talking about, you know, my accomplishments. It's, it's wild. It still is wild. Yeah. Well, I read off your bio and I was sitting there. I was like adding, I, I literally, I, I like triple counted all the nominations and everything. And I was like, God, there's just so many. <laughs> and, and that was only, and that was only some of the biggest ones. Like there's just countless, countless others. And you've got to be, I mean, thank you again for being here. Cause I know your schedule. No, no, it's tight. my pleasure. My pleasure. But you, you've got to be going all over the place to talk about this and accept that award and <laughs> all sorts of things. Like, do you, do you, Take time off? Do you? Do you oh, go? I do take time off for yeah. sure. I have to. Like every time a show opens, I'm on a plane. <laughs> you know, I've got to just decom- decompress. Mm-hmm. You know, decompose. <laughs> I almost said decompose. No, I have to de- decompress after after putting on a new show. You know, it actually when a, after a show opens, I get really sad. Really? I get really? Yes, because it's sort of like you've given birth to a child, and it's something that you've been working on for you know, five to seven years and to just be done with that process, which is actually my favorite part, it's, it's, you really go through withdrawal. And it's, it's sort of like you, you know, you, you're the person that everybody loves in rehearsal. And then you're six months later, you're the person that's telling everyone they're not as good as they used to be. And <laughs> so, so you end up, you know, it, it, it's a very weird feeling. It will never be the same as, as those weeks of creating altogether. Wow. Wow, that, yeah, I, I mean, so I don't, I don't know if you remember this. You gave me my first professional role. I did in two thousand four. Yeah, it, in My Fair Lady at North Carolina Theater. Oh my gosh! So I gave so many people those jobs. I mean, yeah. everyone keeps telling me that there was someone else that I was in. I was in that. Oh my god, it cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, yeah, that was fun with Wally. Wally was artistic director at the time. Yeah. Um, that's hysterical. Oh, gosh. I just totally forgot why I brought that up. Oh, because uh, I've worked with you. So I've seen your work ethic. Uh-huh. And I've seen, like, as my first professional gig, like, that was regional theater. We had 13 days of rehearsal. And I was yeah. just, like, you know, fourth ensemble member uh-huh. from the left. That's so funny. But, uh, yeah, I sailed flowers with me Courtney accent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it was horrible. And <laughs> the show wasn't horrible. I was horrible. Um, but... Uh, I, I am I have read so many things about you now and now I've personally worked with you and and I know um the way that you interact with with your casts mm-hmm. is is incredibly unique. And oh, I, cool. have you heard this before? Um yeah. no, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> because it's especially like uh with the ensemble and the dancers, if it's a heavy dance thing, uh-huh. that um because you've been there. You've been on the other side. You've been in the in the ensemble. You've been in being told what to do from a choreographer. And I feel like you treat you've treated everybody on an equal plane. Everyone's got equal intelligence mm-hmm. and equal importance, no matter how big the role. Right. Well, I I really do like to work energetically, and I think that the, you can't underestimate the energy of a show. Mm-hmm. And the ensemble brings so much to that. You can't discount that. They're not just like backups doing stuff behind the principles. Their energy is so important, and it's so important in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just about, oh, we're going to do a dance break. It has to be part of the story, and everyone has to be involved in that. You know, if you have a couple of course people that think that they're not important, and they bring that attitude to it and that energy to it, your eye goes to them mm-hmm. in a terrible way. You know, you just go, you're, 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 because they're not participating. Yeah. They're not part of it. And I think that it's 
really important to encourage everyone who's in the ensemble to participate. I mean, it is their job, by the way. <laughs> they are getting paid <laughs> you know, to do it. They are getting paid to do it. And they said it was their lifelong dream, but I don't understand why they're marking. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just, I really enjoy it. And it, it shows, like, uh, especially with the prom, I, I was actually, before you walked in, I was watching a video of the of the finale being performed on Thanksgiving Day oh, Parade. Uh-huh. And God, the the energy coming out of all these kids. And I say, I'm 38. I can tell, I can call them kids. Uh-huh. Um and energy coming out of that, but even the principals, uh, everybody dances their ass off. Right, and it's it's absolutely they incredible. do. Yeah, they they yeah. do, and it's um it's very funny because you know you'll hear you'll hear younger actors complain about this and that. And, oh gosh, the shoes are hurting me, and the heel I can't dance in a heel, and and a lot of that is valid for sure. However. Beth Level is wearing heels <laughs> and being turned in circles around on a platform and still and belting her guts out. Yep. And she's doing it just fine. And Angie Schwarr wearing and Angie five, Schwarr. five inch heels. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To heaven and back. <laughs> yeah, geez. Those those people are incredible. But yeah, Brooks, Brooks, Chris, Angie, and Beth. That's like a dream team of of comedy leads right there. Like, how did you put them together? It really is. Um, we just started thinking about who would be right for it. And you know, I mean, Angie, basically, we wrote for Angie because she's playing a chorus girl named Angie, who is like an <laughs> older chorus girl, and Angie is an older chorus girl. Yes. And when we first did, did it, and I told Angie we were writing a role for her based on her, she said, well, please do it soon so I don't have to read somewhere they're looking for a young Angie Schwerer type. <laughs> she said, that would be so sad. And, you know, uh, Beth and Brooks are just incredible. And I actually didn't know Brooks before the first reading of the no? show. I knew I liked him, and I knew it's one of those things. Every person that I know and love was like, you have not worked with Brooks yet? You will love him. You have to work with him. You, he, he's fantastic. And everyone just kept saying that. And so I thought, great, we're doing a reading. Well, just let's see. And just there was no question in our minds that he had to do the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, and then uh, Chris Sieber is, he's so fantastic. And he... You know, he did Spam a lot originally and uh, was just so good in it. And he also did The London Company as well. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it, it's it's great. And Beth, I've just known forever. Yeah. Since the North Carolina Theater. That's when I first worked with Beth. Right. We did right. Showboat together. Yeah. I was she, Lauren Kennedy's dance partner. Oh, Lauren Kennedy. Yeah. The, the Kennedy Center. Oh, that brings back so many <laughs> memories. Jeez. Um, yeah, Beth. Beth's from, from Raleigh. Yeah. So yeah. that, gosh, she didn't even, she didn't even start performing until college, I believe. But God, anyway. That's that's episode nine of this <laughs> podcast. Go back and listen to Beth Level. Um, I was gonna say, oh yeah. So you you call them like your your theater family. You have grown every production. I mean, when you do a production, it's kind of like uh, you put trial by fire, and you have, have these bonds with people that right. like you're spending multiple long twelve hour days with them. And, yeah, and and sometimes and, years, and sometimes years. Yeah, <laughs> if, the, if the productions keep on going, yeah. and you're Sometimes literally like backstage getting naked together, uh-huh. quick changes, and you get to know each other so well, and you're growing this family. But uh, and so in the prom, the your your four main characters there are, I mean, do you consider them family? Like they have stuck with this from seven years ago until now for a reason. Yeah, they they are. They they it's um yeah, it's a special one. It really is. And there's they're a special group. And also the way that that the four of them 
have, you know, opened their arms to the kids and also the way the kids have watched our principals. And I have to say, it's more than just the four of them because it's like they get, because they have the flashier roles, they get all the attention in that way. But, you know, Michael Potts is a huge part of the show. Yeah. And Court, Courtney Collins is a huge part of the show. And Josh Lehman. And it's it's really it's really something else. And, and they are all such good role models to, to the kids that are doing this for the first time. And they get to do it in a show that has such an amazing message and is so much fun to do. And, you know, they're, they're at the, um, you know, they're there at the long acre and it is the tiniest theater backstage and everyone is so happy, or at least that's what they act like when I'm there. But, um, <laughs> but you, it's a, it's a happy building. It really is. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to from the, from the production, just like, they love it. They, they feel good. And yeah. then on the flip side, the audience, I want to talk about the, the audience reactions yeah. is, uh, when I interviewed Josh uh, for this podcast, um, he was saying that like some some there was a guy uh, probably late teens or early twenties came was like he was a bigger guy and he and he said that for the first time ever I'm seeing myself represented on stage. That's and awesome. By the way, I'm bisexual and this is the first time I've ever said that. And then he just broke down crying. Oh my god, that's amazing. And do you do you hear these stories? Does I, it get? I back do. To you? you know, it's it's usually when I'm in intermission of the show, any show that I that I've done, I usually go backstage, but sometimes I don't. And when I don't at the prom, I get so many people coming up to me and just saying, thank you so much for this. You gave me so much strength. You know, I'm about to come out to my dad wow. as being a lesbian or I'm going to, you know, and then, and you keep hearing those stories and it's that, that part of it makes me feel so good. And so like, I'm like, I'm helping people. <laughs> You know, I want to help people with with laughter, but you, in which I know we do, we all do. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's um, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's it's pretty wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. People recognize you in the audience, and they're like, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah. they oh, do." That, that guy. That that's the part that pinches me because I just never think that anyone would know who I am. I mean, I really do. I don't ever think that. And lately, I've been recognized more and more. But I really never think that. Yeah. Well, because I'm behind the scenes too, you know, and people don't really recognize. Broadway directors, do they? <laughs> you, you, yes. I mean, I keep seeing you on the Tonys every year. <laughs> like, yeah, yep, I, you're recognized. Oh, yeah, I worked with that guy. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so how did you approach casting the roles of, of Caitlin and Izzy and, uh, and then Josh's role? Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll see what you can, like, say or not say, but... um. Well, the the funny thing is those those tools because I didn't know very many younger people. Uh, Beth Knox from Telsey uh, yeah. brought people in, and Caitlin originally came in for Alyssa. No kidding. And yeah, and she started singing. I thought this is not Alyssa. This is this is Emma. In fact, this is Emma. <laughs> and we all agreed. We knew that it was going to be her, and it was from the beginning. And she ended up doing everything. Uh, Izzy was in the ensemble in Atlanta. No kidding. She was one of the dancers in Atlanta. And then we ended up replacing uh, the girl that played the role there. Not because she wasn't good. She was incredible. Uh, but we just decided we needed to go a different a, a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and I just decided, well, actually what had happened is I, I loved Izzy and the Ensemble of Prom in Atlanta so much. And then I asked her if she wanted to tour with Latin, thinking she was going to be in the ensemble and covering Jasmine. 
Mm-hmm. And then she auditioned, and I just was like, she's going to be Jasmine. And she was. She was, a, she was the Jasmine in the first national tour of hmm. Aladdin. Nice. And then when this happened and we ended up needing someone else to play Lissa, I just said, it has to be Izzy. And it, that's how it happened. Wow. She didn't even have to audition. We were just like, it's her. And then and Josh, Josh. So Josh ended up taking over the role in Atlanta in an emergency. And then we just had him still play the role. Just kept him in the role. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's so funny. He's I, so funny and he's God. so lovely and he's such a good yeah. human being. Yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy everything, everything he does. But the 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 show itself, he he's very outspoken now about um, like uh, gay history and LGBTQ uh-huh. activity and whatnot. And in this show, The Prom, it tackles so much. You've got like, you've got bullying and social media and celebrity activism and then like queer, <laughs> queer rights in schools and... Gosh, uh, I, I'm still so impressed with how you handled all of this, wrote this story, and then still made it hilariously funny. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that, you know, Bob and I did Drowsy Chaperone together, and he's his, one of his, his passions is writing satire. And we're satirizing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's what makes it so in, so enjoyable. And, you know, that's, that's Matt and Trey's forte, too, is, is satire. And... And I I love it, <laughs> and I and I think that you know the show is the show is so funny because it doesn't take itself too seriously, even if though it's about a serious issue, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the heart comes through because you're actually not preaching to people, you're not you know giving them a lecture, you're telling the story through the eyes of of two different sides and two two different viewpoints uh, of of people, hmm. and and. I guess how how has the show changed you at all in any particular way or like through the, through the whole process, you know, do you, do you look at things in a different way than you did before? Yeah, I think that um for me the fact that we're able to do a show that changes people's lives and uh, that sounds trite when I say it, but 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 honestly, this one literally does. <laughs> you know, from the people's stories it, it feels like it's it's helping people and it's giving people strength and it's helping people become who they are and lets them know it's okay. And also hopefully, hopefully helps people that are, you know, adults, the parents who have gay children, hopefully it's helping them open their eyes to things too. And, and we have found that too. A lot of adults and parents saying, thank you, this has been fantastic for me. You know, my daughter was gay and I didn't want her in the house. And we've come to terms, but this show just, you know, confirms how important it is. And, you know, I, I really, it, it's its a wonderful thing. Wow. And during the writing process, going along those lines during the writing process, uh, obviously our presidential administration changed. Right. Did that affect anything that, that was happening at the time with the writing or the it, show? It did. I mean, it, it, it certainly did. You know, it's funny because when we first wrote or started writing the show, it was very relevant. Relevant. I'm sorry. It's been the longest, <laughs> longest day. Revelant. It was. This is a very relevant show, you guys. I was like, um, that's a new it word. Was re- <laughs> I, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> it was real. Uh, when we first started writing it, it was really relevant, and then it wasn't. And then we were into the, you know, we were in the Obama administration, and then people said, "Oh, the story is like, you know, it's just, it seems dated," and then. It was relevant again. 
And then they peop, then it sort of wasn't. And then now it is more than ever. I mean, I'm very happy that it took so long to do this because now is the right time for it. It definitely yeah. is. It feels it completely. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, some, some of your other past work. Tuck Everlasting uh-huh. lasted for a month. I know. On, on Broadway. So you, obviously great success does not come without a little bit of, of struggle. Does that, like, what, it, what, what happened there? Like, can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a beautiful story. It just, it didn't catch on. It, it didn't catch on, you know, and um, it meant a lot to all of us. And it was such a beautiful message and it was such a beautiful book. And um, that was it. We were, it. we were pretty heartbroken. Again, that was another show where everyone stuck with that show for a long time mm-hmm. uh, because they believed in it. And I have to say the, uh, the ballet at the end of that show was one of, the, one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever done. Wow. So did you, did you? Is the writing on the wall in that sort of scenario where, like, you're building up to opening and, like, um, previews don't go well? Or Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, again, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty intuitive energetically. And most of the shows I've worked on have a buzz in the audience during previews. Mm-hmm. You can just feel it. I walk out of this. I walk out from the backstage area and I walk into the house. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's electric. It, that never happened with Tuck. Hmm. I would walk out of the backstage area. I would come into the house. I'd be like, well, this is weird. It's like people weren't talking. It was just a very, it was a weird energy. And it just didn't feel like people were excited about seeing it or wanted to be there. Or if they all got like half price tickets or something. It was a very, <laughs> I mean, it really was an odd thing, you know? And I know lots of people that were really moved by it and other people that could just care less. Right. So it, it is hard because you, again, we worked on talk for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, do, do you take that? Do you take that personally when that kind of scenario happens, or is it just I think you part of the business? I take lots of things personally. Um, I, I don't think you can take it personally. I mean, of course you can take it personally, but I think sometimes it's just the zeitgeist: what's going to hit and what isn't, and what's when it's time for something or not, mm-hmm. or or the way it's being, you know, marketed or what. Who knows? Who knows if it's because so many people love that book. And it was such a part, and it was required reading, and it was, you know, and people really loved it, and, and it spoke to so many people. So it was, it was very, it was very odd that it didn't catch on. Yeah, no, I, I, to me, I loved, loved the book. I, you know, it was one of my favorite books that I read when I was uh-huh. a child. Yeah, so I was very excited to see it. But, I mean, yeah, if I may say, it's, I saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, it just, it's something about it just wasn't right at the time. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, and you've also directed and choreographed. The West End production of Dreamgirls, yes. which I saw. You did? I was, yeah. When I was in London uh, two years ago, I believe. Yeah, I saw it. I loved it. Loved the production. Thank you. I love it too. Yeah. Is that the only time you worked in the West End? Um, no, no. I, I mean, it was the first time I originated something in the West End. Mm-hmm. But you know, Aladdin is still there, and Book of Mormon is still there, and Spamalot was there, and Drowsy was there. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess. And you said it, they continue on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can you go over there and you have to go through the process of. I guess it's a little easier because it's already like the script is locked yeah. for the most part. Um, but yeah, you have to go through the casting process and yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, wow, that's but a lot Dream of fun. Girls was so special to me. Yeah, that was great. Are there any plans to bring in here? Um, I hope so. We talk about it. We hope it's happening. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe we should uh, uh, talk to Dory. See if oh she wants gosh, to bring it over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dory and Jack, you hear that? <laughs> bring over Dreamgirls. I'd watch that shit. That's so good. 
but when you're when you're over there, do you do you find that the cultural zeitgeist, uh, or I guess the focus towards theater, musical theater, is a little bit different? Because I have a, a friend of mine is she's British, she uh-huh. lives in London, and she's like musical theaters, or musical theater, and eh, but plays. That's what I want to go. See. Right, I, I think it's more important to them there than yeah. musicals. Yeah, I do. Um, I love working over there, and I love the people I've worked with. But I think that musicals aren't considered as high up on like the the food chain of of theater, you know. Right. Uh, so not like it is here. Not yeah. like it is here. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because like here, here, like a plays plays in New York. I mean, even like your big 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 name plays, they only run for a couple months in in most cases. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, just. I, I go over there and I was like, well, every time I go over there, I'm like, can we go see a show? And she's like, really? Like a musical? I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I want to go see Dreamgirls. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I loved good. it. So much fun to work on. It's my favorite show. I want to ask you to, uh, um, you've got a credit as the dance choreographer on the Trolls movie. Yes. With Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake. Yes. Of course, that movie. Although I've never met them. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but it's an animated movie. Yeah, they hired me to sort of to sort of come up with ideas and choreography for some of the musical numbers. A lot of them never made it in the movie. Really? I mean, the the, the numbers themselves didn't yeah. make it in the movie. <clears throat> so, um, but it was fun. Did they do really fun? Did they do motion capture for that? How did how do you? No, animate? basically, we just talked about them, and then I would just get in my dance studio with some dancers, and we do pre production, and we videotape everything for them. And you wear your big hair wig. Oh, like, we did like have some big hair wigs, actually. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, but it was actually a little distracting. But we did do that. <laughs> um, and then, of course. Uh, you worked on Smash, uh-huh. which is where you met An- Angie Schwarer, right? You met her. No, no, yeah. I knew Angie from uh, from Minsky's when we did Minsky's in LA. Oh yeah, and then I then Angie did something rotten as well. Right, right, right. So yeah, um, so you you directed directed right? You directed yeah. Smash, yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah and episode. and so do you want to go back to doing more TV like that? Or, oh, I or, would love it. Yeah? I, I had a great time working on it. I really did. Well, tell your agent get you exactly some more, get you some more <laughs> exactly. TV work. Yeah, and then. I am most impressed, I think, with the VO work on South Park. <laughs> because Matt and Trey don't let anybody do VO. Oh my like, God, they it do it all themselves. So, it was really fun. It was really fun. I was just going there to uh, say, oh, no, I know. I was going there to audition someone because really? we were in L.A. and there was someone who wanted to audition. And we did. And I, I w- was with Anne. And then we walked downstairs. And I was talking to Trey. And he said, do you want to do, do, do a voice? I said, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yes, I do. So I was like, all right, come on. And we just like walked into there and he like handed me the script and told me how to do it. I was like, I love it. Oh yeah, direct me. Works for me. <laughs> and um, it was so much fun. And I went back yeah. the next week because it was a two-parter and I did, I did more lines. It was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah, they, I know they're like so famously like actors are stupid. Uh, <laughs> so that's why they do all the voices themselves, which it works. It's their shtick. But I, yeah, that's, that's like, so good. that's one of my all-time, so funny. all-time favorite goals is to be a voice on South Park. Because... Just because I know it was it's, really it's cool. That was a pinch me for sure. Wow. And then when I was done doing the voices, and said, "Okay, I need you to fill this out." I was like, "What? I get paid to do that too? Really? Wow!" <laughs> oh yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll wrap up here in a second. But before we before we wrap up, can you can you give us any hints about what you're working on next? Anything uh, fun? Yeah. No, um, yes, uh, I'm doing uh, a new musical version of "Some Like It Hot." Ooh. which we've been working on. Uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman are doing the score, and Matthew Lopez is writing the book. Nice. And uh, we're, we're, we're sort of done with Act 1 and into Act 2 now. Wow. Do you, do you get 
writing credit for that stuff too? Like when you're no, I help them. I help shepherd it. Yeah, but no, the other ones putting the the words on the paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And how many how many projects do you normally juggle at once? You know, it depends. It's 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 funny. Uh, Right now, I'm not juggling too much, which is great. Uh, you know, but you but do have four shows on Broadway. I know it's true, but as far as <laughs> as far as new stuff goes, you know, it's because it takes so long. You never know how they're going to line up. You know, a lot of the shows that I've just sort of ended doing were really were I was already I had already said yes to mm-hmm. when I had done Mormon. So that rash of things is sort of now coming to an end, and it's time for like a new group of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, but in a perfect world, do you like to have 10? Do you like to have five? I would say five is good. Yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing too. By the oh way. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but yeah, no, I would, I would say, I would say that's pretty good because you never know what's going to fall apart. You never right. know what will end up happening. You never know anything. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's phenomenal because I feel like it all sort of cycles back and everyone's got their, their lives that they have to yeah, deal with. It's, and, it's, it never, the timing of things never works out as you think it's going to. And then, especially for Broadway, you have to wait on a theater. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's, that actually reminds me, I, I know we said we'll wrap up, but that's okay. like for shows, when you do the out of town tryouts, do you know at the out of town that you're going to come back and have a theater? Not always. Not not usually. You know, when we did Spam a lot, we knew. When we did Drowsy, we did not know. Really? When we do we did Mean Girls, we knew. Um, you know, I think if you go out of town regionally, you don't usually know. Like mm-hmm. when we went to the Alliance with Tuck and we went to the Alliance with Prom, we didn't know that we were gonna get a theater. Or oh. that it was gonna be two years later. How long between how long between Alliance and Nederlander? Um wait, uh, for the prom. Long Acre. Oh, yeah. Long Acre, yeah, yeah, Long Acre. Um two years? Was it two years? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Huh. I thought it was a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, two years. So you're just waiting yep. just waiting in a theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, the process of Broadway. So complicated. All right, so now we will really wrap up. Um, <laughs> there are three questions I ask everybody to wrap up. Okay. First, all, first of all, very simply, what motivates you? Passion for theater. Really? I mean, it motivates me for theater or life? Just like what motivates you? What do you, work. Why do you get I like to work. I do. I like to work. I like to create and I like to work. And that's my that's my happy place for sure. And change lives, I will add. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and okay, so next question. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, wow. I think it's going to be okay. That's what I would tell them. In what respect? Because um, he didn't fit in. He didn't fit in in any way. You know, I was bullied as a kid, and it wasn't really called bullying, but I was bullied. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, that's what I would say. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Exactly. (laughs) So now the final question. This is the hardest one. If Uh you could only see one show for the rest of your life. Dream Girls. But you can see it as many times as you want. Dream Girls. Dream Girls. You don't even have to to finish it. Dream Girls. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that show. It was a very, very good show. So... Uh, I couldn't find you on social social media. I am right? not on any yeah. social media. Yeah. So I guess we'll just plug theprommusical.com <laughs> playing at the Longacre Theater right now. Buy your tickets. Gosh, it is such a heartwarming show. I absolutely love it. And I laugh laugh my ass off every time I see it. It's incredible. Thank you. You can get more of me in the theater podcast via thetheaterpodcast.com. Of course, add slash Patreon to the end of that. And you can support the podcast 
You can get more on social media, theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, music by Jukebox, the ghost. My gosh, Casey, this has been (laughs) so much fun. Thank Thank you you for coming in. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.